Hi, I'm Rob Moore, author of Money and host of More Money Secrets. And this is Harry Kumar, who's head producer for actually all things Rob Moore and Disruptors brand name. Everything. The good, yeah. the bad and the ugly. Harry's had a big year this year. Bringing in the money. So yeah, we're going to talk all things money. Let's do this. Right, Rob. Is it easier to make money or keep money when you're rich? Well, when you're rich, everyone wants your fucking money. Women, mm. insurance companies, critics, trolls, haters, punks, wankers, schemers, scammers. Everyone wants your fucking money. So when you make money, it's not the same as keeping it. Also, um, I wouldn't say anyone can make money, but anyone can get a bit of luck and get that quick hit of money. But can anyone maintain it for a decade or two or three or four or five like Warren Buffett has? Probably not. So I'd actually say it's probably harder to keep millions and grow it than to make your first million. Everyone says making your first million is the hardest. And yeah, probably it was the, it's the longest. So it probably took me the most amount of time to make my first million. I think it took me from 27 to nearly 31. So it took me four years to go from 50 grand's worth of debt to making my first net, I'm a net worth millionaire. Um, and making the second million took less and the fifth million less and the 10th million less. So it took longer, but what's easier, making your first million or managing 10 and turning it into 50? I'd probably say it's easier to make your first than to turn 10 into 50 because everyone wants your money and you're so busy making money, it's difficult to then look at your money and grow it. So for example, I make money in information, education, training, about 22 million in sales at the moment, we're, we're on yearly. But then taking the profit of that and then deploying it into property is not easy because mm. you've got high interest rates you got to get a good deal. There's not so many deals at the moment, especially in commercial. Um, and, mate, like, I've got a Lamborghini Aventador. They just wanted 15 grand. They upsold me 15 grand's worth of repairs on the side of the um, service. And, you know, I've, I've got a watch where they want five grand for insurance on one watch. And, you know, people only want to know you or they want to use you for your money. Now, mate, I'm not playing a violin. I like being rich. But um, who was it who said, mo money, mo problems? That is, it, was, it was some famous rap song, yeah. wasn't it? Um, and that is certainly true. Why do so many people lose money and go broke? And why haven't you? Um, I haven't gone broke because I'm scared of it. Like one of my biggest fears is losing everything. I really admire Tyson Fury um, for many reasons. And he says, I'm not scared of losing it all. Uh, because you can't take it with you when you die. But it's almost an irrational, rational fear. So in America, you're not really penalised that much if you lose it all. You know, the Americans pat you on the back and go, you're a trier, go again, lose the next 10 mil and then come back and then you're investable. And it's like, if you've lost a lump of money once or twice or three times, then you're investable. I think partly it's society, because in England, it's very frowned upon if you lose money, if you go bust, you know, because um, they don't like successful people. And therefore, if you go bust, ah, I told you so. Um, but I suppose it would probably trigger some shame in me 
because there would be hundreds of thousands of people who would know about that. I mean, I've, what have I got? One and a half million? We've got one and a half million, I think, followers on all of our social. More, yeah. So there'd so probably be two million people who would, ah, Rob went bust, and that would cause me some shame. But that's good. That's why I've not gone bust. So it's motivation, it's accountability. Um, and I would rather go a bit slower, but know that my wealth is impenetrable, unbreakable, indestructible, than to take bigger risks, to rush, and to flash in the pan, make a load, and lose a load. So I see people lose money all the time. I think they just go a bit too fast, or maybe they're a bit too greedy, or maybe they don't do what we talked about in the last question, which was, they make it, make it, make it, but then they don't know how to grow it, invest it, and protect it. And we make it, make it, make it, but we always put a load into impenetrable assets, watches, gold, real estate, back into the business. My business partner's the same, Mark. I mean, Mark's fear of going bust is probably double mine. So what have we done in sales in the last 17 years? More than 150 mil. Maybe we could have done a billy, a billion, if we'd have been more aggressive, but maybe we'd have lost it all. Mm. And so I'll take where I'm at. Now, if I move to America, my attitude might change. And sometimes I think, you know what? If I went bust, I could handle it. I've handled big things before. I'm fighting in front of 1,600 people as a you. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lose, but there's, there's that risk yeah. there. But I can handle that. But I'm quite proud that I haven't lost my money or anyone else's money. Because here's the thing. People lose other people's money like it doesn't matter. Like Jordan Belfort. Everyone loves Jordan Belfort. Mm. He should have been paying those people back, even if he was paying five grand a month. And then as he made more money, he should have paid the fuckers back. But he didn't. He just got away with it. And, and to me, that's wrong. So if I lost someone's money, I'd be paying them back. But I haven't ever lost anyone's money. I haven't. I've not even really had a bad investment. That's why property's so good, mate. Because you can buy it badly, but as long as you keep it over time, father time in property looks after you. Mm. Do you know who Casey Neistat is? I know of, but not met him. Okay, so he's an OG YouTuber. OG. Oh yeah, a top G. He was making content before it was cool. <laughs> And I heard him on a podcast the other day and he was telling a story how he came from absolutely nothing. Poverty, completely broke, and he built up his multi, multi-million dollar empire. And he says, I've got absolute no fear about going broke. Couldn't give a shit. If I've got to go back and be broken and homeless again, whatever, no problem, I'll build it back up. But he says he does fear it for his children and his family because now there's something to lose. So he does fear? Not for himself, but he doesn't want to put his kids on the street. He so doesn't want- his fear. Yeah. yeah, because maybe mine is for my family, maybe mine is for my reputation. Um, so it's all very well saying I don't fear losing everything, but I fear losing everything for my family because your family is a part of you. Therefore, you fear losing everything. Mm. So, I mean, obviously he's not here and I would want to ask him myself. And by the way, sometimes people say they're not scared of something when actually they are. And sometimes there's bravado because sometimes we have overconfidence. Like, I knew when I took this fight that I'm doing that I was gonna win. But I didn't know the emotions I was going to go through and how that belief was going to be tested. So it wasn't bravado, but it was confidence. But now it, it's a different kind of confidence, which is that confidence has been challenged because of all the challenging situations I've put myself in. So, 
we often, after our podcast with all of these, you know, mega popular people we interview, we sit down and we chat and we talk about how much we really believe what they said. You know, when people are cancelled and they say I was completely innocent. Well, were they? I don't know. Of course they're going to say. If someone cancelled me and I got cancelled, I'd say, oh, why'd you cancel me? There's nothing to be cancelled about. But I bet you if I went back through a shitload of my content, there's some edgy things there. So I'd have to ask him myself and I would really get in there. And Because here's one thing I've learned about people. Because I've got 150 staff in and out of the office. I've probably interviewed 1,000 people, I'd guess. I've done a lot of work on understanding people. We're all fucking scared of something. There's no one that's not scared of something. Everyone's fucking scared of something. Well, sometimes the thing you're, ve- sometimes the thing you say you're scared, sometimes the very thing you're scared of, you don't want to admit to anyone. You were going to ask me what I'm scared of, weren't you? I was. Yeah, well, um, I'm scared of the dark. Although it's got better, but um, I was left alone in my dark. I was left alone in the dark from a very young age. Um, so I was scared of the dark. Um, I'm scared of public humiliation, I would say. Yeah, I can imagine that would hurt. Um, yeah. Scared of getting knocked out. You know that feeling, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes hard conflict or confrontation makes me feel stoked. My dad, like, he would just spend all day picking fights with everyone, even his customers in his pub. And it was just so painful for me to watch because it was so unnecessary and cringy or it was just like, uh uh, yeah, and, and so that built like a defence mechanism against that with me where I sort of became a bit of a people pleaser. I used to be the fattest kid in school. I'm definitely scared of being fat again. Yeah, that's, that, that's prob- actually that's probably one of my biggest fears, being fat again. Mm. Yeah, actually the dark, I'm thinking about it. I've not had felt any fear of the dark for a few years, but definitely in my 30s, I was scared of the dark. So what would happen now if I turned off all the lights? Um, yeah, I'd probably be all right now. <laughs> Why, because yeah. I'm here to hold you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, your lighting is basically the dark, <laughs> with your mood lighting. Yeah. We're all fucking scared of something, mate. Mm. Are you a guru? Um, no. So, some people see a guru as like sad guru, or, you know, Deepak Chopra. So some people would see a guru like Sadguru or Deepak Chopra, you know, a spiritual wise guru. Some people would see a guru as a go-to expert in a niche. And some people in the UK would see a guru as a scam artist. I am none of those. I've done property and business for 17 years and I know a lot. I know more than most, but not as much as some. And I'm still a student as well as being a, an educator. So I don't call myself an expert or a guru because that would be self-congratulating, which I rarely do, but it would almost be like I've arrived at that destination of, well, I am the wise fountain guru. It's like when people say, oh, Rob, you're enlightened. <laughs> the fuck? I'm not enlightened. I just know stuff or I don't know stuff. So these labels, I don't really like them. And 
maybe in America, guru has a, a more positive connotation. Although I think there are some satirical comedies about gurus. But in the UK, that word is like fake guru, scammer. Not that either. Mm. I'm just someone who's been doing property and business for 17 years, has made some money and um, is doing good. But there's always more. Why is Dave Ramsey wrong about money? Dave Ramsey is more wrong about debt than money. So Dave Ramsey said, so Dave Ramsey says all debt is dumb. I think that's a dumb thing to say because the banks have made billions out of debt and most people can't get into property or real estate without a mortgage. So how do you start? What do you do spend 30 years saving enough to buy a property for cash? So no, he said, I have seen on his social media because I engage and reply and some people think it's a trolling. He has said, all debt is dumb. No, it's not. That is a dumb statement. Now, there's good debt and bad debt. And there really is. And he believes there is only dumb debt, not good debt and bad debt. No debt is good debt. He's wrong. Good debt is when you go to a bank and borrow money and they take the risk on you and you invest it into an asset that grows in capital value and produces income, of which real estate is the most famous. And without good debt... I have 360 property units, 1,350 tenants. I make one and a half million gross on one property. And I wouldn't have any of that without good debt. So Dave, you're doing a lot of good in the world for people who are on the breadline and struggling and you know maybe getting out of bad debt and getting rid of credit cards and depreciating car loans. He's doing a lot of good in the world for that, but he can get him to there, I can get him to there. Mm. I mean, look at all the billionaires on the rich list and name me one that doesn't have any property or real estate. And even if they made it in tech, where do they park it? Where do they put it? How many of them have got a, a fully paid off two bed house? None, they've all got massive 50 million mansions, which doubled and tripled. Is Martin Lewis wrong about money? Martin Lewis, Martin Lewis is a champion for the consumer. But most consumers, would spend two hours to save five pounds. They would go and price compare online and try and find these vouchers and spend hours chasing a 5% saving on their insurance. That only gets you so far. So in lockdown, there's Martin Lewis on TV, you know, telling everyone to tighten your belt and reduce your spending and here's how to save in costs. And you can only do a certain amount of that. If you earn three grand a month and you're spending three grand a month, if you save 500 pound by not eating lunch and intermittent fasting and having freeze-dried coffee and doing all this price comparison and shopping at Lidl, that's gonna take you 15 hours a week of fucking around to organize that and you're gonna save 500 pounds a month. It's not gonna make a lot of difference in your life. Whereas if you start a side hustle, you build an income generating business, you launch a social media agency, you turn content into cash flow, information into income. You can, it's easier to go from earning three grand a month to five grand a month than it is cutting already low expenses from three grand to two and a half. Is that all right? It's That's fine, yeah, 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 yeah. Fine. Nothing died. <clears throat> nope, okay. just the screen. So when is it right to save a pound and when is it right to make a pound? 
and which one is better? Gun to the head. Is it better to save a pound or make a pound? Pound for pound. It's probably best to save a pound. Because when you save a pound, you get the whole pound. When you make a pound, there's VAT charged on top, there's corporation tax, there's income tax, there's national insurance, there's business rates, there's all this fuckery, and you get 15%, 20% of what's left. However, if you have the mentality of saving a pound, you may never make enough money to be rich. So, in some ways, going from five grand to 10, or 10 grand to 20, or 20 grand to 50 a month, has more upside, even though you might not net as much as if you saved a pound, because of growing your brand, growing your reputation, growing your income streams, building assets, and all the other cross-stream benefits. And you get to a point where you've saved your pounds, where you've got nothing left to save. Now, if you're a business, and you're focused on making money, you've got to make a pound to be left with 20 pence or cents. But if you save a pound, you get the whole pound. And in our business, where the overheads can sometimes be a million a month, saving 100 grand is like making 500 grand. So you probably kind of need to be doing both, but what you don't want to do is get bloated. You always want to try and maintain being as lean as you can. So what's the greatest life lesson about money you've ever learned? Pay yourself first. Why? Because if you don't pay yourself first, HMRC, employer, husband or wife, children, Netflix, Rupert Murdoch, they're all getting paid before you. So you're living your life, making all those people money and you're left with the dregs. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. You're licking the fucking bones in the bin at KFC. But there was a bargain bucket there, but you're left licking the bones. When you pay yourself first, you get all the chicken. <laughs> and life and school and the banks and the government essentially teach you and want you to pay all of them first. And you, you own nothing and be happy. I don't know if you can leave that in YouTube. And be grateful for the slim pickings that you've got. 
Some people don't have bones. Be grateful that you've got bones. No, no, no. I paid for the fucking bucket. I want the chicken. So I pay myself first. What that means is, so if I pay myself 50 grand, I pay that to myself and then I work out how I can get the tax down. Mm. So I work the tax down and I, by the way, I don't mind paying tax. I pay millions in tax, just so you know. But it's got to be fair, and it's not fair. 20% is fair. 70% of what you earn and what you spend is not fair. So I'll work the tax down. I'll work the expenses down. But I paid me first. Most people, they get a piece of paper, and it's almost like those TV shows. You could have won. Oh, but you actually won fuck all. Because you've got your gross salary and then you've got tax, national insurance, student loan, where, 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 you need a microphone fucking out, £4.20 left. It's theft. It's robbery. It's wrong, especially as the NHS is fucked, the government's uh, bloated, the political system is outdated. We're funding wars we're not fighting. We're funding lockdowns we didn't agree to. You know, all this shit. We're paying national debt we didn't agree to. And that's why the taxes are going up and up and up. So, look, I've learned a lot about money. And you could have asked me on a different day and I'd have given you a different answer. But pay yourself first. And if at the moment you're paying yourself second or third or last, set a goal to pay yourself and in about a year, Harry, you can talk about that for you. Because obviously you've smashed up your money. Mm. I don't know if you want to talk about it, it's up to you, but I don't know how paying all that tax makes you feel. <laughs> Not very fucking happy, I can assure you yeah. that. And yeah. let's work you up so mm. that, and let's just make it clear, I pay millions in tax. I have no problem. There's lots of different types of tax, type, there's lots of different types of tax that I pay. Um, and this tax is generated and levied on assets that I own or rent out, but it's not fair, it's too much. Obviously the difference between me and you, you can find um, ways to get your tax down. I'm not being paid first. I... No. I was gonna cut this out, I was gonna say get raped on tax. <laughs> I don't think I can say that word. I mean, let me change Beat it. Beat it out. <laughs> You're I getting get... beeped on tax. You're getting I... beeping beeped on tax. I get absolutely yeah, screwed on tax, and there's nothing I can do. Like but I you said, can in a yeah. year. Let's talk. So what do I do now? Just keep hustling. Well, without everyone knowing the full <laughs> details, this is your life, not mine. Yeah. It's not for me to say. But you know, we had a conversation a few months ago, and you mm. leveled up your career. We've had another conversation very recently, and you've next leveled up. So after this, this next conversation <laughs> is the next level up. But, yeah. you know, you do, you kind of need to work your way towards it. You know, I was employed for a quite a while and you need to work your way towards it. You also need to get significant enough income whereby the tax is significant enough to be able to work it down. Because mm. it takes work and effort and there's accountancy fees and advice fees. So you, you get with a certain amount of tax. Well, you can't if you're employed. But with a certain amount of tax, it's probably difficult to get it worked down because it's not enough. But that's how the system works. Yeah. And they have got you by your woo 
I feel it. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I decided 17 years ago to um, be an entrepreneur and took the risk. Because people don't understand the risk you take when you've got kids and you've got mortgages and everything else to start your own business. Now, in some ways, you could lose and then probably go back. But in other ways, there's a lot on the line. And I, and I took that risk 17 years ago. And that's why, you know, we use capital allowances. We, we used to be able to offset um, interest. That got changed. Um, R&D tax breaks. There used to be good entrepreneurial relief. It's not so good anymore. There's all these different breaks um, or offsets or depreciations for business owners, which is what it should be because that's there as an incentive to take the risk. Because if there was no incentive to take the risk, people wouldn't take the risk. But what happens is when they need you, they lure you in with all these incentives. And now they're like, oh, well, we're billions in debt, so we need the money. So we'll take that away and that away and that away. And, and it's, it's almost been a bit like over the last few decades, entrepreneurs and business owners have grown a thriving economy because people don't realise how easy life has been for decades. We've had no wars. Well, not in the Western world, really. And I know economies go through cycles, but been pretty good. But it's all changing now because there's so much debt. And so they're shutting a lot of the loopholes. But they'll shut all the loopholes that they opened. And then there won't be enough entrepreneurs to fire up all the jobs and build and innovate and engineer and disrupt. And then they'll have to lure them back in. So one of the things I absolutely think should be happening is there should be, they should be removing business rates for startup businesses. You know, we know someone who owns a gym mm. and he's more pissed off about the business rates than he is the rent <laughs> because he's getting charged to, to start a business. But the government need businesses. The government get the taxes. They get the corp tax. They get the income tax. So if they got rid of the business rates or at least gave a business rate relief for a year or two years then there's a less of a, an expense to start your business. But they're penalising you for doing the thing that they need. Anyway, I think I'm going off on a tangent here. No, I like it. Something that's just come to mind is, uh, obviously you've interviewed Jordan Belford, The Wolf of Wall Street, and Wayne Lineker. And these are guys who paid themselves first, but it backfired horrendously and they got done for all sorts of tax evasions and embezzlements and things like that. So is there not an argument where you can go too far and I don't, don't personally know these people but I assume they didn't have the they probably did have the best intentions but they kept paying themselves and they owed investors money and one thing led to another and they were in jail um I can't speak about Wayne and Jordan in terms of what they were convicted of because I'm not the law but I pay myself first with my money not with someone else's money so, for example, VAT. I do not pay myself VAT because it's not my money. It's the government's money and I'm literally chaperoning it for three months. So I only pay myself first with money that I've got a fair claim to. We keep millions in the bank. We are solvent. Ironically, the government aren't. And 
we make sure that we trade solvently. So for example, Mark and I have a drawings or dividends or payment policy, depending on, because we've got, I think we've got 14 companies. Um, sure. I know, well, finance is always moaning about how many monthly management accounts and VAT returns and year ends. And I think it's 12 or 14 companies we have. So there's a lot of paperwork and stuff like that. Um, but in lockdown, Mark and I were paying ourselves nothing. We paid ourselves nothing for six months because I believe we were unfairly robbed of our right to be able to run our business and we had to be careful. Now what we do is we pay ourselves 30% of net profit each. So I get 30, business partner gets 30 and we retain 40. So 40% of our net profit every month is being retained, retained earnings it's called, which means essentially we're building up a massive fucking savings account. We might reinvest some of that into property, stock, hardware, staffing, marketing. But I could just draw everything, mm. everything every month. But I think it's important to have a buffer. I remember learning from Bill Gates 17 years ago. Um, he said he got to a point where he had two years of no sales, expenses and overheads in cash. So we set that as a goal. Most people, if they don't earn next month, they've got no money because they don't even have a month of savings. If you get to a month, and then three months, and then a year, you're way ahead of most people. So you do that personally, but you can do that for a business too. So Mark and I, in fact, I think we may have up there with the most amount of cash, give or take a few hundred grand than we've ever had, I think. Um, and some people would say, well, you know, Grant, my friend Grant, Grant Cardone would say, you know, you've got to empty that bank account every year and be hungry at the start of the year. Gotta be hungry. I don't know. I like. I think. Yeah, it's good to be hungry. But what if there's what if there's a lockdown? What if there's a ma massive crash? What if there's a force majeure, and you're left with your pants down? Mm. I can't remember what the question is, but that's the answer. It's all good. We're just rolling with this. <laughs> How would you make a hundred grand in seven days, starting now? I would start a mastermind with everything I've learned in seventeen years and sell ten people at ten grand. I could do it in a day. Seven minutes, not seven days. So. <laughs> you asked me. Yeah. Okay. Um, your business partner, Mark Homer, legend of a guy. Now, me and Mark, uh, occasionally, we kind of share ideas uh, about the stock market and he'll give me some tips on what he's buying and things like that. And I've kind of been dabbling into that market. And recently, me and Mark, we ended up buying some Rolls Royce shares and we did all right. But the fucking stress of it. And I was like, ultimately, I just felt like this was gambling. So should you ever really play the stock market? Um, you should only play investing, speculating, or gambling when the odds are unfairly in your favor. So if you're a casino, the odds are unfairly in your favor. If you're amazing at counting cards, you bring the odds into your favor 
But as soon as the casino finds that out, they'll kick you out because they want the odds in their favor. So I've learned enough about property over the years to have an unfair advantage of knowledge. And I don't think people talk about this. So in any investment or class, you gain an unfair advantage by knowing more than anyone else. And when it comes to trading on the stock market, I know nothing. Mm, yeah. And you know Mark. <laughs> so for me, that would be gambling. It wouldn't even be speculating, it'd be gambling. But it felt like that, that's why yeah. I stopped. Yeah. yeah. However, I know enough about the stock market to look at the price for the last 100 years and see it's gone up, let's say 5% a year, knowing that the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100 are gonna be stable and solid. So what I do in the stock market, because I have plenty of money in the stock market, I just buy, hold, die, just park it. And it goes in S&P 500 or FTSE 100, or maybe some Japan emerging markets or you know European emerging markets, but that would be a bit less than the, but essentially they're in diverse, well-managed funds. And there was the Woodford incident where I had some money in Woodford fund and that went up a lot and then went down. But other than that, I've always made money in the stock market. Buy, hold, die in the biggest, safest companies. If you go, go you're better off starting a side hustle and buying something for 20 and selling it for 50 than you are punting on shares in companies you know nothing about. Yeah. And Warren Buffett makes a handful of investments a year, but he reads prospectuses and balance sheets and profit and loss statements and accounts. He reads them five hours a day. So the reason you had the emotion was because you didn't have the knowledge. More knowledge, less emotion. Less knowledge, more emotion. If you'd have had 100 fights, this fight coming up on July the 1st, you wouldn't be that emotional about it. If you've had no fights, you're more emotional. So just remember, if you are an emotional person, you're gambling and speculating, or you just live in this emotional roller coaster, high knowledge, low emotion, vice versa. So what I'm doing now with a lot of my money is investing it into my ISA and I'm just buying S&P 500, FTSE 100, emerging market, just index funds, mm -hmm. happy to take the 8, 8%. But you know, with a few trades that I've done, I've done all right, but I feel just doing index funds isn't, there's not a lot of risk to it, therefore there's not a lot of reward to it. So should I just, in a way, play it safe, move on to other asset classes or take more risk in that portfolio? Um, you could, invest 80% of your pot in safe, secure, steady, long-term, and 20% in higher risk or more volatile. So you could have a, an asset allocation of low risk, lower return, long-term, and higher risk reward. You could do that. And it depends on your age, stage, wage, so if you're 65 and you're near to retirement, you're not going to be gambling or speculating. If you're 21, you might have 50% long-term, 50% more volatile. But remember, the more you learn, the more you earn. So in a way, you getting a tip off someone to put money into a share 
in a way, you're kind of cheating yourself because you're not learning. You're just getting a tip. Well, you, that's not fair because you have a lot of conversations with Mark, so you yeah. learn a bit. But you didn't hardcore study Rolls Royce. No, he did. He, well, <laughs> but did he though? Or did he, because... We both made 30% out of it. Yeah, which is good. Contrary. And Mark usually makes money, but he also oh, yeah. usually comes out early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's more risk averse. Mm. But he's also got people he's talking to. Because mm-hmm. I know who they are. <laughs> so, because, um, look, a little bit of a shortcut, in a way, is if you know people who are the fucking best at it, get tips off them. Like, if you ask me what kind of properties should I buy in Peterborough, I'm going to send you down the right road. If you went and did it yourself. So there is good leverage in that. But remember, you're sort of cheap. Well, you're not cheating because I've learned about business from billionaires and really successful business people. So that is a legitimate hack. But that's about relationships. You have a good relationship with Mark, he'll give you those tips. Mm. But nothing beats knowing it yourself. Like when it comes to education and information, I know how to make money and I'm very confident in my ability to make money. And I know how to do marketing and I know how to do sales and I know how to set up the infrastructure and I know what the information should be and I know what people want and I know the triggers and marketing messages. And you could give me virtually any information product. I'm, it's going to go to 20 million a year, 25 million a year pretty fucking quick because I know that. But you get me trading, day trading on Forex, I know nothing <laughs> about that. Nothing. And I wouldn't want to go through the emotion, mm. the highs and lows. Yeah. yeah. Right. Should we do a quick fire? Yeah. Right, smash through it. Can you be rich and employed? Yep, Tim Cook. Apple, pretty good. Short and sweet. Uh, Right, so you've taught many, many people throughout your almost 20 year entrepreneur career. What are the most common traits you see people make with money mistakes? What are they doing wrong with all the people you've taught over the years? They don't give their business or investment long enough to mature. They avoid the hard things instead of facing the hard things. They surround themselves with the wrong people and don't take advice from the wrong people and take advice from the wrong people. There you go, there's three. This is quick fire, so yeah. yeah. How do you know something's good advice and what's bad advice? Have they fucking done it themselves? If they're giving you some food, have they eaten it first? So you know. How, do they live it, breathe it? I think our American friends say, do they eat their own dog food? Because um, free advice is worth every penny, especially if it comes from poor sources. Mm. So the litmus test of advice is who's it coming from? What did Andrew Tate teach you about money? He became the master of short form social media content. Whether it was through controversiality, sensationalism, or speaking bold truths that many needed to hear and many didn't want to hear. And whether it was he set up all the social media accounts or he got thousands of young bucks to set up social media accounts on his behalf. You and I get emails every day from people pitching to do shorts for us. I'm deleting emails because you do them and we've got a team. So, I, mate, I del- just in case you're thinking, I ain't I know, got your back. I, yeah. Two or three a day I delete short form, short form, short form. 
But Andrew Tate and the Andrew Tate army of short form editors got him absolutely dominating TikTok, Instagram and short form. And as you know, for me, I like long form. Like I'm in the zone now, I'm buzzing. I'm actually a bit, it's a shame we've got to finish this. I like long form. I feel like, all right, we're warmed up now. Like I can't do 10 seconds, but I've, I've been forced to because TikTok and Instagram and Reels, that's what they want. He became the master vicariously, accidentally and strategically on short form and then monetize that to what? I think 10 million a month now. Yeah, well. And I know, I've got Rob.team, yeah. nearly 10,000 members. I know how to create revenue from long-form content, but that's what I learned from Andrew Tate, short-form content. And he probably monetized that line of dividing people more than just about anyone out there. Like, there's plenty of people out there that divide opinion and are broke. We've interviewed some of them. <laughs> but Andrew Tate divided opinion and got rich. Mm. So hats off. And whether people think, oh, well, you know, you're siding with Andrew Tate, you should be able to look at people and go, that about them is not great. That about them is great and I can learn from that and take your emotions away from it. And he did those things great. All right, last couple of questions because I know you've got another recording in just a few minutes. What's your biggest problem with money right now? This is gonna sound really arrogant. I don't mean it to be, but my biggest problem with money is getting a good return on it because I've got lots of money and I need to deploy it. And if you'd have asked me that in lockdown, hmm. I'd be like, sales going from gross 1.6 mil down to 700 grand overnight. So that was a different problem. Now hmm. my problem is this money sat in essentially banks or very low returning assets I need to deploy it quick. So I'm trying to buy up watches and real estate and scale up my businesses as quickly as possible because 10 odd percent inflation out of millions of pounds is quite a lot of money. So inflation and speed of deploying profits into investments is my big money problem right now. And I feel grateful that that's a problem because that's a high quality problem. And I don't mean to be flippant or arrogant, that's just the truth. So there was a report that I read, apparently, this was uh, in America, that 18% of people who make more than six figures a year are living paycheck to paycheck. What's your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that is, I'm surprised it's that low. Oh. My thoughts on that is, I'm surprised it's that low. <laughs> because earning six figures is making the government more money than you. But living paycheck to paycheck, how much are you fucking up your, your expenses? Yeah. But if you think of the cost of living right now, $50,000, not pounds, although the pounds fucked, but $50,000, it's not a lot. When you take your mortgage off, it, my wife goes shopping every day for food and she easily spends 50, 60 a day. And all these supplements, just, you know, because we all want to be healthy and live longer now. You've got all those, so she's got all of that. Just to live now, it's not cheap. So, like, 10 million's the new million. So, uh, half a million's got to be the new six figures. Because it's not much anymore. 
If you think that inflation's been over 10% pretty much since lockdown, and that's what they tell us. So not 15% off three years ago, then another 15% off two years ago, and then another 15% off last year, and now 15% off this year. Six figures is not a lot. You've got tax, national insurance, student loan, and inflation. Doesn't surprise me at all. Thought it would be more. Final question. What's your net worth? <laughs> <laughs> so my wife, my accountant, and my business partner have sworn me to secrecy to never share what my net worth is. So I am bound. I can tell you it's much more than 10. I can tell you it's less than a billion. <laughs> um, I can also tell you I've got hundreds of real estate units. I've got training companies. I've got digital assets. And on a good day, I might get a multiplier of 12 on the valuation of those. On a bad day, I might get a multiplier valuation of two or four on those. So that makes the difference of tens of millions as well. Now, when Mark and I do our net worth statement every year, which we do, we don't put in the value of our companies. But the value of our companies are tens of millions. But that's not realised yet. It'll be realised when I sell them. Um, so it's probably not the answer you want, but it's also not a lie. And I think plenty of people lie about that. But I have to do what I'm told. Rob, I enjoyed this. Boom. Should do it again. Thanks for tuning in. And don't you leave without liking, subscribing, and turning the notification bell on. And remember this, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.